Welcome everybody to Black Coffee and Theology. Hello everyone. I am happy to be with you all as we are going through this season. Heads up. For those who don't know, if you don't know, now you know. Uh... We're taking a podcast break, May and June. So you won't see any new podcasts for myself or Three Black Men or Translations. <laughs> so just a heads up. So anyways, I got to sit down with pastor, author, speaker, Rohati about his book, When We Belong, and just talking about deconstruction. Now, you all know that's not my favorite topic, but I do like talking about it in very nuanced ways. And I loved sitting down with Rohati. So sit back and relax and enjoy this conversation. Welcome, everybody, back to the podcast. I have the honor of sitting here with Rohati. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, Robert. The honor <laughs> is all mine. <laughs> I am honored to be in this space. Mm. Ooh, can't wait. Yeah. Been looking I forward to this all week, I said. <laughs> I am excited. I'm excited. I let me say this uh, as we get started and into things. I can't remember, you know, where on the the Twitter stream that I first saw you, but it was about two years ago, and I was uh, as always the type of people that I'm attracted to are the people that are asking lots of questions that don't that aren't know-it-alls in the room and who are really uh generous and how they appear um fun fact i followed you before you followed me um are you sure about that positive i don't know i'm absolutely positive i feel like i, had I, I remember that. i remember these no you don't your <laughs> your mind bless it okay but, uh, I'll, I'll take that blessing <laughs> But I, uh, you know, just what it, because I knew that you wouldn't remember it the right way. So that is why I'm informing you now. Okay. Um, Okay. Okay. That's good. um, Hey, he came on to me. (laughs) Exactly. And I was like, oh, this cool dude in in nice, cool, like suit you wear. Um, And uh, I remember that suit. uh, Yes. Um, And so I have been. Uh, really blessed by the type of conversations that you cultivate uh, your humor, which is an eclectic humor. and uh, <laughs> Eclectic and humor. Hmm. Do those two words go together? <laughs> yeah, and who you are. So anyways, welcome. Thank you. That's so kind. Your words are so kind. Mm-hmm. I feel inflated. <laughs> I can hey, walk no. on the moon. <laughs> let's do it i um i ask every guest to mm-hmm. you know this question who are you and how do you show up in the world 
Yeah. Who am I? How do I show up? I did explain who am I in my book because that's not a question I should like share with people. If you just ask me that, it's so close to the questions that Christians ask of tell me about your testimony. And I'm just like, nah, you gotta pay for that. You gotta <laughs> take me for dinner, you pay for that, or or the relational quality is there. And that's where it counts the most. Who are you? You know. I was born in Trinidad and now I've lived in Canada for most of my life, almost four decades and lived in Calgary for all that time, which is about an hour off of the Rocky Mountains. I'm on Treaty 7 territory, and there are three different nations who are Treaty 7 uh, signers. Uh, that's how we acknowledge the Indigenous lands on which we are on. Not all lands are Treaty lands in Canada. It's also Métis Region 3 here. And so in Calgary, being here my whole life, I grew up in white evangelicalism, but as a multi-ethnic human, making sense of what I would now label as where I could belong, that's always been something just out of reach. It's always been something where you can see that promised land along the horizon, but you just can't reach. So. I've always been kind of, uh, I don't know, blame my mom, maybe uh, pioneer, entrepreneur, don't fit the mold, loose cannon. You know, when I was <laughs> growing up as, as a teen and then to my 20s, uh, before I was a mature adult, um, yeah, the, the loose cannon and, and someone who would call out injustice without even knowing what the injustice was, you know, you could sense it, you can feel it. And so being on the edge of inside of all things is probably a result of a reality that that's the only place where someone like me and my skin can exist. I can't be on the center of this world in our context, of course, doesn't have space for someone like me at the center. So in many ways, as I reflect back on, you know, half my life, I think of where I am today, both where I am in my career, my job, my ministry, my writing, my art, all those pieces, it is a response. Perhaps it is a response out of resistance, or perhaps a cry out for some semblance of belonging um, to, to shape and form a sense of identity. So I don't know where that leads me, but it has produced what I am today. 10 years ago, it'd be like, it has produced the monster that I am today because <laughs> I'm always upsetting the norms in many respects or, and now, maybe not the monster, but now kind of indifferent to what is happening around me in terms of mainstream, be it any, any container, and more geared towards, I don't care what mainstream institution, what have you, are doing over there. I will work in the slow, deep fashion of finding my and a combined liberation for all over here it'll be small and quiet 
but that's where I'm going to put my energy because I don't yeah. got a lot. And when you get older, you realize you don't got a lot and you put up with mumbo jumbo a lot less. I don't know if I can swear on this. <laughs> and you realize, listen, I don't need anybody's approval or permission to find my liberation. Mm-hmm. And I will embark and continue to figure out that path. Mm, what was that. the first half of the question? What was the second half? The second is, <laughs> you kind of answered the, the first and the second in the same uh, vein okay. about how you show up and you kind of, you kind of, you hit it uh, square on the nose. I, um, something that I asked some of my guests, uh, a lighthearted uh, question is, what song encapsulates how you feel you know right now or what songs are what song are you listening to frequently oh yeah and i am all over all sorts of music i did Uh, use the word eclectic earlier Uh, (laughs) (laughs) all sorts man all sorts okay i'll give you what is very contextual right now and what i'm feeling in my bones right now (laughs) I'm usually in some, like I grew up in 90s hip hop, right? But I'm usually in some form of of hip hop, R&B, gospel-y kind of stuff. I don't listen to church music, as it were. Definitely not contemporary church music, none of that. But I will say for when I need to pull out some songs, some tunes, that I would play on a Sunday morning. It would be like a Leon Bridges. It would be like a Gregory Porter. Uh, Gregory Porter is a jazz musician who is also, I think, a prophet. He writes what I consider to be worshipful music. It is insightful, um, prophetic to the wounds of our world. Mm -hmm. So that's where I would go for, for church music. I just watched Searching for Sugar Man again, which is a documentary about uh, Sixto Rodriguez. And uh, I'm digging his stuff again. I have it on vinyl. I dig his stuff because it's dark. It's sad. Uh, It is trying to describe all of the cracks in the alley. And (laughs) I'm there in the minor keys, man. I'm there in the minor keys. And then what I've been doing very recently, so contextually what I'm thinking of, is uh, a lot of reclamation of my own people, my own music. So I just, I have one as well. Love listening to Steel Pan. And also like all the poppy top 40 hits that have Steel Pan in them. I'm just for some reason re-listening to those right now because they give me a sense of joy. Like that's the sound of my people. Mm, I like right and and so I just get a little wiggle in my hip Mm. every time pan comes on right I love it (laughs) so I love it Mm. so on the table we're we're talking about your book (laughs) when we belong yeah yeah. reclaiming Christianity on the margins and hey I love it I so uh, probably how someone could classify parts of our conversation is under the deconstruction uh, conversation. Now, 
with that said, as we as we edge in slowly into the waiting, <laughs> the shallow mm-hmm. ends, I many people know I have a range of thoughts on the word deconstruction. Yeah, and the yeah. deconstruction movement, um, yeah. 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 TM. Um, <laughs> what is that? Yeah, who owns that TM? By the way, <laughs> exactly. Um, it's a white, white dude. White, white people <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but I did, I, I did this. Um, you know, over last season on Black Coffee and Theology, uh, I tried to unearth what it means to go on that deconstruction journey, that disentangling of mm. toxic face, that questioning journey, um, that divesting from uh, things that hurt us journey, mm. uh, primarily through the lens of Black people, because in that TM, <laughs> typically white people are centered, right? And so one thing oh, that I love yeah. about your book is you really do try to center other voices, right? And I want to read... Uh, something you write about deconstruction from page 76 uh, in my copy um you write uh deconstruction is a pathway that may liberate us from all that seeks to make us less whole it involves questioning the foundations beliefs and formation of our entire faith uh and then you give these like three little elements to deconstruction that I find super uh, beautiful. You're right. uh, Deconstruction involves the work to, number one, reclaim what gives life. Number two, discard what does not. And three, create beautiful tales. Um, And I want to talk about, you know, those three in a second, but just give a thought to deconstruction and maybe even why you found this book necessary to write. Yeah. I appreciate you engaging it through your lens. Very few Black folks, I think BIPOC folks, aren't asking these questions in the same Mm -hmm. manner because I think there is a reaction against white evangelicalism. And if you are not there, then, and your formation isn't there, you're not asking these questions. Mm. I did not... So... I added deconstruction to this book late mm-hmm. <laughs> because I thought it'd sell books uh, because I thought it would match uh, what was happening in the contemporary world of uh, Christianity in the West because mm-hmm. deconstruction hot, right? It's hot right now. And so I actually inserted it later as part of my argument to match where I thought folks might be. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, because <laughs> I, yeah. I would so, have very much said this is a deconstruction book, but but different than the ones that I have read, right? But I would definitely put it as a as an asterisk deconstruction book. But yeah, and I did shape it as it was being formed towards deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Of towards that motif. And so I did use it and I used the three aspects there because it did offer some framework to what I was trying to process. So it is, it is a sense of my journey, but I never used that word. I never used the word deconstruction. It, it was, uh, I liked your other words, disentanglement. It was divestment. 
decolonizing, but I never used those words either. Mm. It was a, a, a mm. something that I didn't understand in my own skin that I would now name as belonging. And that's where I think I center the book around belonging, not deconstruction, uh, about belonging and trying to find that belonging unto wholeness. Or another way for wholeness is to say liberation. So I would have been reading books and trying to make sense of why my body did not fit in to dominant forms of mainstream Christianity. I wouldn't have named yeah. it necessarily as a problem rooted in what I would say is white supremacy at the very foundation, the bedrock problem being white supremacy. I named it initially as I was reading, you know, Brian McLaren's book that just came out, Generous Unorthodoxy or something like that. Those are the books that I was reading at the time, not James Cone, right? Like we, <laughs> we weren't talking about James Cone in seminary, like, please, uh, up here in Canada. Having said that, I did learn from a Cree man, all men, mind you, and a Congolese man as my theologians, as my teachers in theology, which I realize now is part of poking holes in the establishment. I'm indebted to them. But yeah, I thought my problem and what I identified in the church, which was a total incompetence at connecting with people that didn't look like it. And by it, I meant beliefs, not it centered around ethnicity or race. I thought it was a problem of mission and I was mm -hmm. reacting to that. And I wanted as a church planters where I was kind of situated to build something that was far more inclusive without the language knowing in my bones the realities of white supremacy against my body, but without the language of making sense of uh, the DNA that was foundational in the church that was preventing, contributing to the cause of why I would never find belonging in the spaces that I was in. Mm -hmm. It was not a problem of mission or a better way of thinking. There was something ingrained in the DNA of what I would now name as white evangelicalism or any white uh, evangelical tradition. Same goes for mainstream Protestant uh, uh, mainline denominations too. Uh, white supremacy is the factor that prevents those on the margins from finding their whole selves. Mm, I want to, I want to, jump in there i i love that you named that that way because <clears throat> often when people talk about deconstruction you know i realize it right you say in your book like your story defines your deconstruction right and you know when white people are often talking about it it's it seems to be primarily pushing back against like maybe one aspect of the church or maybe questions that were mm -hmm unable to be answered and and for me as a black man it's about so much more than a few questions of of thinking that i need to like be able to explore and white supremacy was the the thing that caused my deconstruction right i didn't have that language mm -hmm. originally you know years ago but that was, you know, the descent or ascent depending on how you think of it into um, I need to find that life because 
I was in these spaces that um, prided themselves on knowing the right language, that prided themselves mm-hmm. on being sure of biblical doctrine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but white supremacy was keeping me from feeling at home, that place of belonging that you just, you know, that you've hit a couple of times. And as I thought about that, there were a lot of, there was a lot of dissonance that arose as I saw a black man being killed in the street. And my pastors would not say anything Mm -hmm. because they wanted to be true to the gospel. Still, there was this, yeah, there was this tearing within, right? And and we say like that path of deconstruction is about um, liberating us from all that seeks to make us whole. That was part of it for me. I just knew there had to be more to this God life um, than what I was experiencing. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. mm. Yeah, same. It, 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 that language and and for your listeners and those who are trying to make sense of their faith, adding language to make sense of what ain't right get to that place because then that unlocks the next step onto your pathway to freedom. What's in my cup? What's in my cup? Now's the time of the podcast where I share with you what's in my cup. Hey, so what's in my cup for this particular conversation? I was enjoying a nice black Welsh tea and you know me of course I had the half and half of course I had the raw sugar yeah yeah and I think you know in those spaces you know we would talk about the the demonic or the secular versus the sacred yeah yeah yeah. and it seemed to be that all those things that were the demonic side were were ethnic things right oh man you know how um you know, like say the quiet part. Uh, you know, I would be in Japan, and anything that was indigenous to Japanese people, or it was this is demonic, or black people. Beyonce is demonic, but I'm like, how come we're not going this hard against white music? <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, so I. <laughs> So I even like that your your first step there and that three-step process is reclaim what gives life. Um, part of me was having to ask questions was almost that prerequisite and feeling the, mm. the gap. And p- part of my, my moving forward was to reclaim that which gives life, you know? So thoughts on that. I think we need that language piece to make sense of what in fact is operating behind the scenes. And you alluded to it. In fact, you probably named it earlier and that we need to make sense of the malformed powers that operate behind the veil in order for us to make sense of what is producing all that ain't right. Because when we can name and we drag all those malformed powers into the light, when we can name them, we can make sense of both, you know, what to avoid and not, and also what we should not reproduce, but also gives us a sense of, of adding language to where 
liberation, wholeness, and freedom might be found, the direction unto where those aspects might be found. Um, because although they are, I think, incipient within scripture and certainly within the story of Jesus, perhaps in the function of the early church, we don't have a lot of that in front of us um, in mainstream Christianity. You have to dig into, and nothing I said was new, by the way, you have to dig into the voices who have gone before us. And we think of those in the past century of the, of the James Cones, or you think of the Vine Delorias, or we think of the womanist theologians in our mix. Like I, I am merely scratching the surface of the womanist voices in the mix right now who are leading and already paved, have paved a pathway for us unto liberation. How much more is out there if we were to just find these voices on the margins speaking truth to malformed power to direct us into a space where we can find our ultimate liberation and, and wholeness. So like all these pieces are there. We just now need the permission in many respects to go and find them and trust them because so much of our formation has created this space where we, we distrust those voices who don't come from the center or don't have a certain complexion to their skin. Mm. Boy, there's so much out there. There's so much goodness out there. Like, like, Oh, so I, that's why pragmatically i don't read white men anymore don't need to yeah did that <laughs> yeah. I my think, liberation's not there <laughs> you know what I'm i saying? think it's, it's funny like i think you know on this pathway towards um just an expansive faith is how i would say it um i i started to just sprinkle in mm. some black voices mm. And I, I felt like I was resuscitated um, as I was asking these hard questions, wrestling with what I believed about the institutional church, about the God of the institutional church, um, TM. And I, <laughs> I felt like I had not even considered that every theologian that had been referenced in my spiritual formation uh, in the intentional part of my spiritual formation, let me say that, was were white males. Um, I mean, not even a white woman, <laughs> just just for kicks. Um, um, I did read one Joyce Meyer book like way back at the beginning, but then everyone was like, no, <laughs> get over here. And um, but I felt like part of that reclamation being able to uh, have an imagination that was liberated um, and, a, and a view of God that was liberated was as I started to sprinkle more and more Black people. And then, I, you know, the, the match was lit as I started to think about, well, I want to hear from other voices. Um, I want to hear from predominantly Black women in this season or Black people or um Asian people or, you know, and as I start to do this, I found myself drifting farther and farther away from 
white people needing to be the dominant voice at the table. And now when you look at my bookshelves, this is is pretty it's a rainbow out here. <laughs> you know, you know, so talk about that. Even what reading is able to help you do with the naming of the powers, with that imagination. Um, what has reading different people done for you? They speak to me. They speak to my experience. I can see myself in their words. And in many respects, they are able to take gospel stories of a marginalized people group. Like we don't often think of how the early church, how Jesus, how the Jews, the early Christians were marginalized, literally colonized. They were in flux. They were always critique to the empire. And when that relationship shifted to when they were in bed with the empire, well, I think that's part of where things, where the wheels came off the bus, as it were. Uh, I'll give an example here. So when <laughs> Deconstruction TM, right, if we're going to talk about Deconstruction uh, in the, its contemporary movement right now, and I think it's a movement, I think white folks who are dominating that discussion, I think they, they got to deal with their own house. I think white folks need to talk to white folks and y'all need to figure out what's going on. You need to name your white supremacy, how that has formed you, mm. how you can get out of it, how you can dismantle. You have to do that work. Very, very few are, but you have to do that work. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but simply talking amongst white folks does not get you out of the problems that deconstruction has catalyzed. I think, and this is, uh, I'm reticent to say this because in many, in some ways it's gatekeeping, but I don't think white folks can get you out of the foundational problems that deconstruction catalyzed, which is white supremacy. Yeah, White uh, folks can't lead out of that. You need voices on the margins. You need black indigenous and other folks to lead you into a new way of thinking because you can't get there from within the safe confines of the suburban box or the white painted walls you know that's hard to swallow because so much of our both existence but definitely within our church experiences are racialized they are racially segregated now, sure, there's exceptions to the rules, but we are used to being racially segregated within church spaces. So even considering the thought that I must get out of this dominant white space to find my liberation may not be something that A, white folks have skills around of how to do that well, uh, and B, any examples around them of others doing the same. Which is why, as you have posted on social media, uh, y'all remember the black box on social media? And in Canada, there was an orange box, too. Uh, all, all the folks who are, who are claiming their solidarity, you know what I'm saying? Like, cut the performance and the act. What were the tangible pieces that you embodied 
You didn't just read, you can read all the books. You embodied, touch, feel, shifted your existence and that you continue to learn to try to eke out these foundational pieces that are etched almost into stone in your very being. What are you doing about that? And deconstruction is part of it. Deconstruction is saying that etching into bedrock that has happened, you need to figure out how to divest yourself from that bedrock. And not enough white folks are doing it. I I kind of use that, uh, call that out in, in the book, but I was very careful to remember I am not centering the white reader in when we belong. I'm not in general whenever I'm speaking to us or, or what have you, I'm not thinking of white folks, which most books are, especially Christian books. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't want to say that. I think w- if I could, mm, yeah, I think when I think of deconstruction, the, the, the thought gets flattened to what do you believe about God? Or do you not want to believe in God at all? And that's kind of the flattened version of deconstruction. And so what I'm hearing in you and what I resonate with, it's more, do we exchange one belief system for another belief system? <laughs> and then, you know, like, whoo, I was believing this about purity. Now I don't believe it. If that's the, yeah, if that's yeah, the yeah. fullness of your deconstruction to me, like, just be quiet mm-hmm. about it. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> where I'm at because j- mm-hmm. just quiet down, just pipe down and do your work up your group chat yeah and... like for me there's this this fuller thing that you're pointing yeah. to mm-hmm. that i think starts with education that i think starts with this diversity of voices uh, on the margins who are um speaking thinking um the end of deconstruction for me is first deconstructing all those things that hinder love in society, within the walls of the church, outside, you know, outside of the walls of the church and leading to freedom. And freedom isn't, I want to be clear, freedom isn't you getting a podcast on F the church. Freedom isn't you saying F the church all day. Freedom, like we have these things that are hindering us in our societies that are upheld by white supremacy and toxic theologies, right? And so when I I love your book is about reclaiming things and kind of pointing to a fuller deconstruction experience, if we could say it that way. And when we look to those, the people on the margins, yo, we can have a liberated society, which is different than how deconstruction is talked about right now um it's completely different that's not even the same that's why it's hard for me to say it's a movement because the deconstruction movement largely sucks (laughs) to me um what you're pointing to is a whole reorienting um that's going to take things being upended oh yeah you need to talk more about it's it's uh not even the same, I think. Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. It's not even the same. Like we're not even talking about the same things. And to 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 raise my voice right now to the black and the indigenous and the Asian and all the other people of color 
listening right now that it's not the same. Like we got to all work out a white supremacy, but our pathway unto liberation and where the possibilities of freedom lie, that's not the same place. Now it could include like white folks come along for the ride. Like, uh, uh, all right, uh, you're not going to be at the center, but yeah, there, there are different journeys here. And I try my best. Like I don't even talk about purity culture in the book at all. And part of that's because I'm, I'm, a man and that struck me in different ways um and if you got to go through that i understand how purity culture has damaged our understanding of sexuality and also of the self you have to do that work no doubt and that is merely a piece to the larger liberation by as it were what a terrible metaphor but that's merely a piece uh, unto a space where I think all, I do think all people can find their whole selves, but man, it is not in the predominant or the popular conversations around deconstruction right now. I don't think so. Um, but when you said they're not the same, I also don't care. Like I, I don't True. care because mm-hmm. uh, I am not trying to bring a bunch of white people along for the ride as we collectively find our like no i will i will draw those uh who look like me first the last shall be first and those who want to be part of this collective liberation and i will put my energy there but i ain't going to try to change nobody's mind who they probably won't they probably won't like figuring out Mm -hmm. white supremacy how many white folks do you know are actually doing that work it's difficult, right? Like I, I you know, I do in, in one sense feel um, a bit of empathy because to fully divest, being a white person divesting from white supremacy. Mm. I mean, most people, that's not part of, that's not even named in the deconstruction process. <laughs> that's not even what they talk about it. That's why I mean that it's not the same. I, that, to me, that's part of step one. <laughs> that's mm. not like step 10. No, that's what that's what we're doing here. Mm. Like, this isn't an extracurricular activity that you can tack on later. Like, I'm doing the deconstruction and, you know, this is part of the, the decolonizing. To me, they're intertwined, right? Because we're doing them simultaneously. And part mm. of that decolonizing aspect, both to our theology and our ideologies, is we are decolonizing too in whatever both of those that swirl combined, whatever you call that, if that's deconstruction, cool, whatever you want to call it. I um it is difficult because it's going to feel violent in some ways. It's going uh, to feel yeah, yeah. disorienting, right? Absolutely. Because to be at the center and then actually mm-hmm. be told to literally get up. <laughs> like get out of the middle of the table and like sit around where we're all equally um, doing this work together, where we're all analyzing society, where we're trying to find that beautiful tale that you talk about. Mm-hmm. That feels violent when you're in the center. I mean, mm-hmm. um, for us, we're like, welcome. <laughs> it's been feeling violent the whole time, you know, mm-hmm. but that is violent work to someone who's used to yep. being, in the center and so to do that at the same time as to 
think about what do I think about God in this? That must feel wild. I mean, you still got to do it, but it must feel wild. <laughs> That's why so few do it. True. And it's not profitable. I will say that. Um, it's not profitable at all. Um, and that's why so if you do, um, mm. yeah, it's easier to say at the church. Yeah. <laughs> that's popular right now. Um, I have this question, um, that I would love your response on is why are you still here? Why are you still clinging to you know you have this chapter on jesus you know for the margins it's easier and i've said this before in a different interview it's easier to say you know at this whole thing right like this thing that has been you know this thing we call christianity that is inundated with all of these beliefs that have been used to subjugate people groups um, that have you been used to colonize and brutalize. And I'm curious for you, why are you still here? Like, what is it about anything that is keeping you trying to even reclaim a piece of Jesus or the Bible, um, et cetera? Because Black and Brown people, folks on the margins, who have been marginalized by power, the Jesus story is the story for you. It is the story unto liberation. I reject all of the aspects that most people leave Christianity over. Those are not, they are unchristian. They are diabolical. And I don't know how Western traditions, church institutions, denominations, with malformed DNA can ever change. I don't believe they can. But it is almost through the lens of that same white supremacist assumption that the only true Christianity could be this white supremacist colonizer imperialist version. I reject that, and hence the reclamation. I seek to reclaim the truth behind the last shall be first. Mm -hmm. This is the message. I, I seek to reclaim the radical notion of loving your enemy. Like, I don't know how, like I'll screw that up to love your neighbor, uh, mm -hmm. barely to love myself, trying to figure that out, to love God some days, to love one another. Uh, brutally hard, but can we do it together along this pathway as we ebb and flow to fail at that? But will we travel together that unto this call where all of the wrongs in our created world will ultimately be turned right, which I think is the grand hope. But if you have been shaped around this notion of supremacist ideology, if you think that the only version of Christianity is the one that's been served through mainstream or contemporary or evangelical platters, then get away from that. I want to get away from it. I have gone away from it, but I don't give up the whole because I think that Jesus story is in fact a story for those who've been pressed in the margins. It is our story to reclaim. It is not a story of power. It is the antithesis of that. And who better to know 
and to come alongside a story for them than those who are powerless. So like you gave it all up. So I, I see that quite, quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And I, I, I make that call in the book. If you got to go, you got to go. I get it. You got to go, but don't pretend that your picture of Christianity through Christian supremacy or the lens of white supremacy is the only Christianity out there because white Jesus ain't got it. He ain't got it, but there's something better out there uh, and it needs to be reclaimed. That's why I, I find that kind of simple, but it's also saying that, Oh, it's so simple. I don't want to undermine stories of real harm. I just want yeah. folks to know that liberation is out there. And I think that the story, one that climaxes with the life and times of Jesus, is our story to reclaim. Mm -hmm. mm, I'm going to leave it right there then. And um, <laughs> I, I've learned often when there's a, when there's a, poignant uh, thought to just like mm, leave it right there mm. thank you Rohadi uh, um, I appreciate you uh, a lot mm. and I invite everyone listening to get this book uh, it's a good book <laughs> if I do say so myself <laughs> yeah so thank you Black Coffee and Theology Pod is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. If you like the content that you are receiving here and want to receive more, whether that is in longer conversations, essays, devotions, and videos from either myself, Sam, or Trey, please sign up for for our Patreon at patreon.com slash three black men. Don't forget to like, rate, and review Black Coffee and Theology Pod as well as Three Black Men.